Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. There are certain passages that are used and abused in Christianity. Did you know that? Um, there's certain verses that we need revelation on in order to step into God's fullness. And maybe the way that you saw these verses isn't the way that God wrote these verses. Oh, I, I'm just messing with our, our good old charismatic take any verse however we want um, type of, type of uh, Christianity. But let me, just, let me just say God wants us to step into restoration. There's been a really unique thing that God has been doing in reconciliations lately. He's restoring the years the locusts have eaten. So we get to talk about that passage today. How many of you excited to talk about that? I, you know, like I, I, as I looked through Joel, you know, the first two chapters, I'm like, oh man, feel the pain, mourn over the sin, you know, like repentance has to happen. So we had a couple of weeks of like pretty heavy messages, right? And we're like, no, we need to take this to the Father. We need to take our sin to the Lord. We need to look at the brokenness of our region and, and mourn and weep over it. Let it hit your heart, right? So that you can actually intercede, Right? It's hard to intercede for things you don't care about. And until you feel the pain, you might not have a burden. Right? So we need a burden for the lost. We need a burden for this region. And so uh, as we went through the first uh, couple of weeks of Joel, we did an introduction to it. And then we went through chapter 1. Um, and then we went through the first part of chapter 2, which was about what does repentance look like? Right? What does repentance look like? And then last week we talked about that, that when re we mourn over sin and we enter into repentance, now we begin to see God bring divine order. He brings divine order into situations. And that's what we talked about last week is God's divine order. And when God establishes divine order, the threshing floor is full. Okay? Uh, Lisa sent me a little note on the threshing floor, right? Like this is the place where um, all the chaff gets off the wheat. They would that literally remove and cut all the chaff off. All the things that shouldn't, that, that doesn't produce anything good gets removed from your life. So when divine order happens, there's some removing of the chaff. But then the vats overflow with wine. The vats overflow with oil. God begins to release abundance. And we saw that that abundance had a lot to do with reconciliation. See, when God is abounding and there's an abundance happening with the Lord, he begins to bring divine order into situations, including relationships. So God's divine order in relationships is restoration. It's pretty cool, huh? So then we read, uh, and maybe you can read with me. I'm going to read out of the New King James. Joel chapter 2, verses 25 through 27. Now, we read 21 through 24 last week talking about being fearless, that God wants to remove shame, right? He's going to cause divine order to come. He's going to establish the rain. He's going to establish the harvest seasons. 
he, it, says, it says that, that he has given you the former reign faithfully, right? Like he's done it before, he'll do it again, right? So then he says, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust is eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, right? And those are the same four um, ages of locusts because it's about the, the different ages, right? The different types of locusts that would come and devour, and they all did something a little different in their process of, of how old they were. But uh, we looked at four different, what those four in, for our region, what do those four types of locusts represent? That, I'm, I'm taking some spiritual liberties in that, okay? That isn't, um, that, I can't pull those four things out of direct exegesis. I am actually, which means that I'm pulling it uh, from the text. I'm actually reading over the text, uh, which is called eisegesis. Eisegesis is when you take a concept in Scripture and then you go, okay, I think this could apply this way, Right? And you, so then you go, okay, this is what I'm seeing, and here's how it applies to the Scriptures, right? So you apply a principle to the Scripture, and then there's exegesis, which applies, the, the Scripture applies a principle to your world, right? So we don't, I, I'm, using, um, I'm using the locusts as a representation, an analogy of sorts for the strongholds that have ravaged our region. The areas that, that are strongholds that need to be broken, okay? So just, just to be really clear on that. Um, and the reason why I think it's important to understand even, even different aspects of how we teach is because God is restoring divine order to the body of Christ, which means the way that we read Scripture will now will have a lot more clarity. We'll actually be able to walk in divine order when we get in the Word, but if we don't know what we're doing or how we're doing it, and we're not sure what's happening with it, um, we're going to be floundering around. And we'll take any scripture that feels good and try to make it a rule from God. And we can't do that. Right? All scripture is given by God. It is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. Every word of it is true. Every word of it is true. Okay, I don't even know why I spent so much time on that. Amen, hallelujah. We're going to move on. Moving on. All right, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dwelt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Okay. So last, last week I had the opportunity to share with you uh, a bit of my past, right? A bit of my testimony. And part of that is because, you know, for me, I just, I, I think that the more I can share about what God has done in my life, not only does it break shame off of my past, but it maybe shines a little bit of light on, um, uh, for each of you on how, um, 
uh, understand maybe how I think. <laughs> it also hopefully gives you hope for the areas in your life where you've experienced shameful things or things in your life that you wish you hadn't done or, or gone through. And listen, God is a God that restores. And so it's every time we get a chance to share our testimony, I always picture it as like going into a jeweler. If you ever go into a high-end jeweler, you will find that most of the cases are either bright white to make that thing shine or it's jet black in the case, right? And I picture my past as like the jet black because now I can see the, the, the sparkle in the diamond better, right? It's the backdrop on the beauty that God gave. Right, so, so sometimes I have to remember that because the devil loves to operate in shame, right? And so today, uh, everyone in this room will be set free from some level of shame that's been on your life. Okay, we just declare that over you right now. Amen. All right, so let me tell you a little bit more about my story. Now, I stopped my story last week um, at... Uh, starting to work at a mortgage broker, I uh, you know ended up managing a, a national mortgage company for the region here um, in in the real estate industry. Uh, I moved to Sandpoint um, based on my ex-wife and my two oldest kids moving up here when I was young, uh, when when they were really little. Uh, right after our divorce, my ex-wife moved up here because she realized like I need support, and her parents. Uh, worked for a Vista, and they had they had some property up here, but they lived actually out on the property at the Cabinet Gorge Dam, because they they actually at the Cabinet Gorge Dam out there um, they have houses from when they built the <laughs> built the dam, and people who worked on the dam could have free housing out there. All they had to pay was like 150 bucks a month, and they could live out there. So they're like, we're going to save as much money as we can. We're going to live in these old 1940-something units out there, and then they had they rented another one for my. Uh, ex-wife and two kids to come live in because um, she was did in-home uh, daycare. Um, and after the divorce, um, uh, she uh, was basically left with nothing and I didn't have anything. So uh, I struggled for years to get caught up on child support for a long time. It, it, it was an, actually an act of God that got me caught up on child support. It wasn't until I set, settled in here. That's a shame area, right? That's why I'm saying it. So, so um, when I moved up here, uh, God just began to put things in order for me, right? Connected here at Harvest. At the time, it was Hidden Valley. I went around and been to a bunch of different churches, and then I actually called up almost every pastor that was charismatic and that spoke in tongues because I knew, like, for me personally, I didn't want to be in a church without power. You might be strong on the word, praise God, and God's word's effective and it's powerful, but if you don't believe that God is moving today in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, I don't want to hear it. That's just, that's just me. And I even struggle with people taking marriage advice from people who don't believe that the spirit is real. Like now we're just operating in principles instead of power. That's what Muslims do. I, I don't, I, so I'm sorry, that was a little harsh. And I've, I just realized, like, I probably offended a few of you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Um, but it is so, that I'm just telling you, it is so deep in my spirit that we operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God moves in a lot of different ways. But if you don't believe that he's even able to heal or move or speak today, I just struggle with it. Just, just saying. 
Just saying, we bless, we bless, we're all in the family. So, okay, I just repented. I want to cut it out of the video now, but whatever. <laughs> okay, so. All right. So, um, so I, I went around, I was looking for a church that had a pastor that would pour into me, that had authentic worship, that had a word that didn't just make me feel better about my life, but convicted me to my core to become like Jesus. And so it had to be spirit-filled. Like, so I had these criteria. So I went to a bunch of churches. I met with uh, every charismatic pastor that was at the time. Um, there's only one left from when, from when I was there. Yeah, there's only one, one pastor that's still around. From, uh, 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 and that's from an Assembly of God church that's affiliated with Assembly of God, but they don't practice, um, they don't practice the gifts of the Spirit. So, um, you know, I was like, oh, this is nice, this is great, big church. I, can't, I just uh, couldn't really connect. Um, but then I had coffee with Dean Hackett here, and he said, Chris, I believe that God's got a call on your life, and we'll, even if you go to any other church, I'll still meet with you every week if you want. You need mentoring, I'll mentor you, right? And then I showed up to church, and we, all we had was the little bit fellowship hall over there, right? Like Lore Hall, that's all that was there. And uh, he was leading worship on his guitar, and, uh, and the worship was authentic. It was like, oh, how refreshing. It wasn't a show. It was just authentic worship. And I was like, yes. So I plugged in here. Um, in that process, the Lord began really working on me, um, continuing to refine me. Uh, I was here single for four years, um, well, about th three plus years. Um, and I dated one time in that period of time. I was just trying to be present for my children, right, who were here and they're in school. And I'm, I'm trying to, I'm working at Staples and now I'm working at a mortgage company and I'm trying to earn enough money to get caught up on child support and get all my other debts paid off from the last season, right? So um, thankfully, the mortgage business was really, really good. All right, so I started in 05, 06. Crushed it. I mean, just like it was a great season in the mortgage industry here. And then what happens in 07, right? We have a big mortgage crisis, right? This big mortgage crisis. Well, let me tell you, my best year was 07, 08. My best year was 07. I mean, I, I mean, through the roof business. People were scratching their heads, right? Well, right during that time, I have this opportunity to meet this amazing woman. I'm actually on the board of directors at the Chamber of Commerce. And... Um, just getting involved in the community. And so I was hosting a, I hosted a business networking group and, and down, uh, I'm hosting a, a networking event for the Chamber of Commerce with my mortgage company. So I've got my regional managers are in and I've got my employees are all here. And so we're, you know, we're, we're having this fundraiser and it was at this little wine bar that was kind of down below something, you know, like it was just this really cool little spot. Wasn't that cool? Well, and so then down comes, you know, Mika down the stairs, and it was like, oh, you know, like, you know, we were, we were very aware of each other. Um, we but definitely um, could, you know, check the ring finger. Okay, all right, okay. You know, like uh, we're just kind of circling each other a little bit. And uh, I invited her and her friends that she was there with uh, to come to my networking group. She's like, okay, yeah, I'll be there. And um, that was uh, a 7 a.m. meeting. And if you know Mika, 7 a.m. don't happen. Okay, so, 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 preach. 
So, <laughs> so um, she was showing up, and it was funny. I would always crack up because it'd be like 6.58 in this little gray Subaru wagon. Pull in the parking lot. You just see it. Just she's screaming in through there, and oh man, it was great. It was great. So so we we ended up after about three months. We met in October, uh, right after she moved here, um, and then three months later we began dating on January seventeenth of uh, two thousand and eight. I'm the dates guy. Don't yeah, I'm the dates guy. She's not the dates person. But I'm the dates guy. But she actually tracks it better. <laughs> like she, she'll, she'll actually think ahead. I remember the date. Just don't think ahead well enough. Okay. So just because I remember dates doesn't mean a thing if you show up and you're like, oh, yeah, today's that day. No, that's not good. That's not good. Okay. So I um, see breaking off shame everywhere. You see that? You see that? So, um, so Mika and I started dating. And she wasn't a believer at the time. But I felt like like she was the one, like I just knew that she was the one. The Lord gave me a vision of her on our first date that she was a healer and a prophetess. And I knew she was in naturopathic medicine and that she, was a, um, uh, she wasn't a believer at all, right? And, um, and so we began hanging out every single day. We spent time together every single day for over a year plus. Every day we spent together. And, um, and so we dated, and then she came to church, and she has an amazing testimony around. Have anybody heard uh, Mika's testimony around God grabbing her and pulling her off the shelf and, and saying, no, you're not going skiing today, you're going to church. And, you know, she's, she just has this amazing, amazing testimony. And um, so she gave her life to the Lord at some point while we were dating. Now, I praise God that Mika and I were able to date for two years to the day, January 17, 2010. We get married, and we were able to do that. It wasn't perfect, but we didn't have sex. So, you know, just being blunt with it, right? Like, we were able to walk through that two years in purity. We both knew in our hearts that there was something that we were, the line we wouldn't cross, right? Um, and so we just did that, and it was just like, it was apparent, it was plain. It wasn't easy, but it was apparent, and it was plain. And so we just did that. And Coming out of that, um, right, our second date was to my ex-wife's wedding. Mika's legit. She was very interested, okay, because I don't think most women would do that, okay? Um, so um, we went, and it was fun to see my son and, and daughter be ring bearer and flower, you know, all that kind of stuff. They were still pretty, pretty little. Um, and... Um, and I just, during that time, I just wanted to be involved here at the church, and I was involved as much as I could be in, um, um, uh, you know, the kid's life. So, while, right after they get married, um, things start to kind of go sideways in their relationship. Um, he was having a hard time keep work. They met online. He was from Georgia, and so he moves from deep south. And when I say deep south, the place where they live was the last school in the United States that was integrated, okay? And that was in 91. So, so that's where he's from, and it's a tight community. And so he comes up here to North Idaho, and he's just having a hard time finding work and that kind of stuff. So then they, they say, okay, well, we're going to move down to Coeur d'Alene because there's more job opportunities. And I kind of threw down for my kids. I'm like, the grandparents are here. I'm here. I don't think the kids should move to Coeur d'Alene. You're close enough. Let me have the kids, Right? And so talking with her parents, uh, which have their believers, I actually lived with them for the first eight months. Like I said last, last week, awkward, but it was good. You know, they're good people. 
Um, and so we ended up, um, um, I ended up at that time resigning from everything at the Chamber of Commerce because I needed more time with my kids. I was the vice president of the chamber. I was scheduled to come in as the new president and oversee an executive director transition and a bunch of issues there at the chamber. I actually resigned from the chamber. And um, um, at that same time, uh, Meek and I had just got married, or we were in the process of getting married, right? We were engaged um, August 23rd of uh, 2009. Um, and so, so right after that is when everything started to kind of fall apart for my um, ex-wife and her husband, and they had to move, and, and I kind of put it together a pretty big fight to keep the kids up here. Um, and so uh, I was living with a roommate at the time, uh, the amazing Greg Schultz, who just recently passed away. Um, and so Greg was a really good friend of mine, a big guy in AA. Um, and so I needed to get my own place instead of having a roommate. So we went and rented a house. And, and, um, and so I rented this house so each of the kids could have a room so that the kids could come live with me. Well, during all this time, I got all my debt paid off. I was able to pay cash for a ring. Like the money, the money was, was got me in a place where I was kind of free and clear. And I drove a beat up old Jeep, white Jeep Cherokee because God, come on, the G. Um, you know, the, the thing with that was like, I heard Dave Ramsey once say, you know, like, do you care more about what people think about you or getting your kids into college? So I was willing to be in the mortgage industry with a beat-up old raggedy car when everybody looks at your, your, what you drive as a status symbol, right? I had many realtors say, get a new car, dude. Get a new car. I'm like, no, I'm good, right? So I uh, got all my debt paid off, went through that whole process. In, the, in, that, in that process, I ended up getting full custody of my children. Caught up on child support. And she said, if you've got the kids, you don't have to pay me anymore. Because legally, I'd still have to pay her child support even if I had the kids. Unless we went through a whole court case. We decided not to do anything through the courts. And she just called up, um, called up uh, Department of Health and Welfare, whoever collects child support, and says, uh, he doesn't owe me any more money. I'm suspending that. We're good. So no more money was collected. I ended up having the kids full time. Um, and so they would do weekends with their mom in Coeur d'Alene, okay, off and on. You know, it's kind of a, uh, it was a short season because soon after that they moved to Georgia. And I kept the kids. That's restoration. I was absent for a long time as a father. And then the Lord gave me multiple years to watch my son enter into junior high and high school with a father present. And my daughter to go through uh, junior high and high school with a father present. Not the best father by any means, but to be present was, was meant a lot. Uh, it was really beautiful to have God restore that. Um, and then, you know, in January of 2010, I get to marry this amazing, amazing woman who just took my life from a, from a five to a 10 like that. Like it was okay and that was amazing. Um, and so, you know, after we got married, God just suddenly began to move things very, very quickly. Um, and um, our pastor resigned here two weeks after we got married. And uh, through multiple words, it was the call that we knew that we were called into ministry. Like I said before, about 12 years old, somebody said, oh, you're going to be a great pastor someday. I told her that on our first date. You know, that's my, that was a weeder. You know, I weed out the dates, you know. 
You know, be like, yeah, yeah, I think God calls me. You know, what, what are you going to do with that? Well, I think God called me to be a pastor someday. They're like, check, please. You know, like, see you later. Um, she looked at me and said, well, that sounds great. Why wouldn't you do that? And I'm like, she's still smiling at me like she likes me. You know, like, what is happening? This is the craziest. I'm like, hello. I'm going to kiss her. So, so, um, true story, that same day. Um, so, so we, um, you know, we started our life together. We ended up buying a house. Too much information? Is that TMI? TMI? Okay. So, so, breaking shame. So, um, I end up, I end up getting called in ministry and I'm starting the process here at Harvest Valley, I quit my mortgage company and went to work at um, Bonner Community Housing Agency uh, because I needed part-time work. I was making a couple hundred bucks a month here, uh, working with Pastor Joel Swartzel, um, and uh, he was mentoring me. and And the church had schizophrenia for a little while because Joel's uh, got a little Southern preaching style and would get real fired up and yell. Um, and me, I'm a little bit more teacher. It was before my pre-yell days, um, so I was a little bit more teachery, you know, and just kind of getting my feet wet and. Uh, um, and so, like, people would come, and they'd get a little fire brimstone from Joel, and I'd come and try and exposit the scriptures really well, you know, as a newbie, you know, not quite sure what I'm doing, but I'm learning type of thing. And so, um, you know, we'd have, we'd have uh, when we started, there were seven people after that other pastor left. He actually left and went to a holy, and went, uh, became the worship pastor at another church here in town when he left. Um, so a lot of people left through that whole process, and on our first Sunday, there's about seven seven people here. Uh, the first Easter, yep, there were seven people. Um, and um, in May of um, 2011, May 1st of 2011 was the first, uh, was my installment as the senior pastor here. Um, so we're running on 10 years of my, since my appointment. Um, now, one of the things that's, that's interesting about this whole story is that there was a lot of failures mixed into that whole process. There was a lot of failures in my marriage. There's a lot of failures as a parent. There's a lot of failures in ministry. And yet God was bringing restoration in spite of those things. He was restoring me into a relationship with a, you know, um, amazing, amazing woman who... He actually set apart for me and, you know, gave me the ability to see that while she wasn't even a believer. And God just saved her, just brought her in the kingdom. He'd been wooing her for years, right? So all of that to say that when we talk about, you know, restoration, listen, God restores the years that the locust has eaten. And I just use that part of my testimony to hopefully encourage many of you who have struggled with things that you've lost, things that have been out of time and out of place. Remember, we, we, we brought things into divine time last week. Divine order, divine time. And that's, that's why some reconciliations are starting to move quickly for people because we're in God's timing and all those things that are out of time, God's aligning it back in. If you didn't watch it last week, go back and watch that um, because you will be blessed Right by dealing with God's divine order and divine timing and having that realigned in your life is really, really cool. All right. So 
let's talk about restoration and what does restoration mean to you, okay? Now, I just finished my, my part of the testimony portion. Um, I felt I needed to share that today. So verse 25 says, So I will store to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. So the swarming locust, we talked about this um, on week two of the series. I mean, it's online. You can go back and read it for more detail. Um, this is about the culture. This is about groupthink. Group this is about generational mindsets. Um, this is about the independent spirit or poverty mindset. Right? These, these areas of the culture of North Idaho, the region that is bound up, um, and if you step out of line, you're judged, <laughs> or if you don't come with that same mindset, then you're an outsider, you're a bad, you know, like all that kind of stuff. So there's all of, there's all of this junk kind of surrounding the swarming locust um, having to do with generational mindsets, poverty mindset, independent spirit. Those are not from the Lord. They're not from the Lord. No matter how much you try to quote Scripture about how blessed it is to be poor, it's not from the Lord. Poor in spirit. Crawling locusts, right? This is the next one. Those, that's youthfulness. That's bad choices. This is that, that we hang on to unforgiveness and offenses here. Right? We're going we're gonna to not deal with the hurts and the wounds. We just set it aside, and we think maybe someday people will just get over it. And now there's a separation and a divide that continues to grow because nobody's actually taking care of reconciliation. Right? So this is something that we, we actually are going to be on the forefront of here in this region and creating opportunities for more and more reconciliation over the region. Okay, that's the crawling locust. Then the consuming locust. This is the religious spirit, the oppressive religious spirit. This is a fight to look good, to get it right, to perform for God, to do things for God instead of with God. Right? We have many people that are in the culture that's bound to the law. Right? Where we got to look good, look right, follow the principles, but you forgot his presence. Right? You, you start to foster a religious spirit, which is pretty rampant up here. Um, and then, um, of course, the chewing locust is the flesh. The lust of the flesh, lack of self-control, the appetites that devour is the chewing locust. Drug abuse, alcoholism, sexual addiction. Here it is private. It is silent. It is covered up. In certain places, like I mentioned last time, Hollywood, it's, it's right in your face, but not here. It's all behind the scenes. Right? That's why I still grieve. At least once a week, I hear about some sexual predator up here getting arrested. Some abuser getting arrested. I mean, it's just like I hear it on the radio. I'm like, oh, Lord, help. Right? It's hidden. It's behind the scenes. It chews up the life of our young ones, right? We know that that when we talk about this process that Joel puts us through, we deal with mourning over sin, repenting for the sin, allowing things to come into God's divine order. And as that happens, we now get to experience God's divine restoration. When he puts, starts putting things in order, you will begin to experience divine restoration. So restoration, we know, is the fruit of repentance and that establishes God's divine order. 
So I've got five aspects from the next couple of verses that I want to, or from these three verses of restoration and what God talks about restoration that I think is really important. The first one is soul health. What does God restore? He restores your soul. He restores your soul. How do we know that? Well, he says that I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. You know the word restore there literally means to make peace with. God is going to allow you to make peace with the years that the locusts ate. Make peace with it. Make peace with the years that the locusts have eaten. Make peace with the losses. We all think that he's going to pile on more and more and more. No, he wants to make peace with the years that the locusts have eaten. This is about coming to terms with loss and grief. Because restoration only happens when something was stolen. So there's areas of our life where there is loss and there is pain and there is grief. And God wants to restore. He wants you to make peace with those things that were lost. It doesn't say he's going to give you more of that thing that was stolen here. There's other places, right? But when he says, I'm going to restore the years that the locusts have eaten, what's, what, what is it that's been eaten? Relationships through offense, mindsets of, of independence and poverty, what is that robbed in our region? What is the lust of the flesh and the, the uncontrolled appetites? What is that robbed? How can we move forward if we don't make peace with our past? God wants you to make peace with it. Now, the second thing he wants you to do is to be satisfied. What does restoration look like? Making peace with the past. And he says, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. The dissatisfaction from your losses is removed. How do you restore the years? The areas where you've experienced and encountered loss, that bad taste in your mouth that you've had, you will eat on something different and you will be satisfied. You will choose to fill yourself with something different and be satisfied. You will be satisfied by the Lord. And that dissatisfaction that you've had over all of the losses begins to turn into this place of I'm satisfied and content with the Lord and what portion he has given me. Many of us are not comfortable in our own skin where we live and what's happening because 
We have not allowed the Lord to be the satisfaction that we need instead of him being the first and the foremost and the highest thing in our life. We actually look to the secondary desires like wealth or relationships or family. Those are secondary to him. Would you agree with that? He's first. He's the primary desire. And, and, and so the dissatisfaction that we have almost always comes because we've put our hope in secondary things. We've put our hope in secondary things. And God says, no, I'm actually going to restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Even if he stole the secondary things, I'm going to restore to you the years. I'm going to restore to you that make peace. I'm going to help you make peace with all the things that were lost so that you can be in me and you will eat and be satisfied. You will eat plenty and be satisfied. That means that a lot of the, the areas of disappointment in your life are because you put, your, you put an appointment on a secondary thing. We can't put our appointment, we can't put priority on secondary things. It's him. It's him. It's him. Amen? <laughs> Third. What does restoration look like? Well, first, there's, there's the soul health, right? Making peace with your past. That's soul health, right? There's the satisfaction that comes by being in Christ. And then there's a place when you're restored where you change perspective and you worship. Perspective shifts from the lack to an overflow. Your perspective shifts from lack to overflow. What's that do? It creates praise, creates worship, right? What's the scripture say here? It says, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. He's dealt wondrously with you. When you begin to see his perspective, many of us are crying out to God for restoration of secondary things. And he says, hey, will you change your perspective and see me clearly? And now you will begin to live a life of plenty. And we give him worship. Why? He's dealt wondrously with us. He's dealt wondrously with us. Are you guys doing okay? How are you guys doing with me sacrificing your sacred idol on the altar of the pulpit this morning? Because listen, the sacred cow that you came in with of these things, these secondary things that you think God wants to restore to you, it pales in comparison to being restored in your soul with the Father. He's more than free to restore all the stuff and the relationships and all that stuff as well. He will do that. But listen, you will eat plenty and be satisfied. And you will praise the name of the Lord because he has dealt wondrously with you. Your perspective has to shift. All of our perspective has to shift. we got to come up in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Woo. Come on. Now. What if we saw our provision properly with extreme gratitude? What if we saw what God was doing as his provision and we saw it as extreme, with extreme gratitude? 
What if we gave him praise for what we don't have? What if you were at peace in lack? Maybe he's restoring you to him being God instead of all these other things taking a higher priority. Number four, you can live in your own skin. What's God want to restore you? He wants to restore you to your own skin. He's going to remove shame. He will remove shame from your life. He actually puts shame to death because he says, and my people shall never be put to shame. Who Never! Shame was paid for at the cross. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in who? Christ Jesus. Right? Jesus despised the shame. He despised it, hated it. There's actually a couple of great sermons online from Jim um, that you should go back and look at dealing specifically with shame. Great teaching. Great teaching. I'm not going to go into all of it today. But I do want to encourage each of you that in the areas of your life where there is shame, it, you haven't received the blood over it yet. The blood was shed. You just haven't received it yet. You haven't laid hold of the blood over the areas of shame in your life. Because when the blood covers, it cleanses, it purifies, it makes whole. And this is where I've got lots of failures in my life, but I'm able to step into a place to receive grace, to receive the love of the Father over it, and not carry shame over it. I don't, still don't like it. I don't like pointing at the black backdrop. It's not my favorite thing to do. But man... It doesn't define me at all. Ah, that's part of where I've been. Look at what the Lord has done. We move on. Onward. Right? We move on. We can receive grace. And, you know, one of the things that's really interesting here is that he does say it twice. He says it at the end of verse 26, and then he says it again at the, verse, at the end of verse 27. Let me tell you, when God repeats himself, he really means it. My people shall never be put to shame. Listen, his restoration is that we are able to make peace with something, make peace with our past, make peace with the grief or the loss, or to mourn the thing, to be able to step into our own skin and no longer carry any shame around anything that was lost or any failure that you participated in, any sin that you are ashamed of, God has set you free. Number five, his presence obliterates the idols. What does the word say? You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. And there is no other. 
There is no other. This is those secondary things got to go, people. Our secondary passions. We've allowed, whether it's money or relationships or families or, you know, all these things. Like, listen, compared to him, they're secondary. God wants to move in all the secondary areas, but they're secondary. He's not ignoring the secondary, but they're secondary. Who's first? God's first. He's first. He is. The, he, is he says, I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Restoration is about him being on the throne. Restoration is that your life now aligns so radically that the secondary things come in alignment with his divine order. When God's divine restoration takes place, our priorities change because we're operating from his presence, from a place of worship. We are in communion with God. We don't make an idol of our spouse. We don't make an idol of our children. We don't make an idol of money and wealth. We don't make an idol of our comfort. Instead, we worship the Lord. We give him radical praise. And he says, you'll never be put to shame. You'll never be put to shame. When you're in Christ, you are hidden. You will never be put to shame. Sometimes we idolize the thing that we want restored. We think that will satisfy. I've heard this verse used a lot. You know, God's going to restore the years that the swarm and locusts eaten, but we've, we've applied it to 50,000 different things as if God's looking at our brokenness going, yeah, I'm going to give you more of a thing that's, that, that, that um, only feeds your brokenness. He ain't going to do it. Many of us have, have wandered around wondering, when is God going to restore all this loss? How about stop making the loss thing the idol? Now, God is with you, and he loves your heart. He loves the fact that you want to experience his fullness here. It's only him. Divine order produces abundance. Divine order produces reconciliation and restoration. That's what restoration is. I've made peace with more people in the last two weeks that have been long-term hurts than, I, I mean, I've never had a season where God's just like lining up healing after healing after healing. Why? We're putting things in divine order. And God's beginning to restore the years that the locust has eaten. Who's on the throne? God's on the throne. Who's on the throne of my heart? Not them. He's on the throne of my heart. Those areas where I felt cheated, where I felt robbed, where I felt stolen, you know who has all that? God has it all. I've made peace with it. He can have it all. He can have it all. And if he's got it all, then he's my provider. He's my provision. He's, he's everything that I need. He's the God that will restore 
everything that was lost in him. And I have no idea what, if he's going to do it financially or if he's going to do it relationally or if he, I don't care. Those are secondary things. They're secondary. I want him more than anything else. Amen? Amen. So what should restoration look like for you? I believe that here we see we can be content. We can worship. We can be free from all shame as God has put on the throne of our lives in a most magnificent way. God wants to restore your soul. He wants you to be absolutely free from anything that has tried to steal from you. Those areas that you felt lost and stolen that you're praying and you're crying out to God for, even through your own mistakes. God may or may not pay off your debt. God may or may not give you the spouse you're looking for. God may or may not do any of those things. It doesn't matter if you come after him. If you go after him, that's when restoration happens. He's surprised, he might surprise you with his goodness because that's just who God is. He's going to be good. He's gonna, he just does good things. He just does it. He does good things because he's a good father. Amen? Amen. Will you stand as we pray? How was the word today? Are you guys doing all right? So, so one, of the, one of the realities of where we're at in the kingdom, um, in the region, is that God is calling some people to go higher and deeper at the same time. Uh, he's calling us into a height of perspective to see from his perspective that we've never had before, but he's calling us to a depth of intimacy that we've never had before either. So we're going to be intimate with the Father, very close with him, but we're also going to get his perspective on all these things all at the same time. It's not either or, it's a both and. Um, and one of the realities is that the areas in your life where you've needed restoration, where you've cried out to God, will you move, will you move, will you move? I'm not telling you to stop praying for those things. I am telling you to make him the Lord. Make him God. Allow him to be the primary, the first thing, and everything else secondary. Allow those things to be secondary. Because if, if they become your primary, you're going to feel robbed. If they become the primary, you're going to experience more loss. You're going to make some bad choices and feel more shame. He has to be primary. Because when he's primary, even when you fail, you come to the throne of grace and there's no condemnation. If he's primary... So can we agree to make Jesus Lord of our life today? Can we also agree that we will not pursue the secondary things, the lesser things, but we're going to pursue God. We're going to pursue his presence in our lives in a very real way, deeper and higher than we ever have before. Can you do that with me? Yeah? Yeah? 
So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you that you restore, you help us make peace with the losses. I think each of us probably has some losses that just came to mind. So consider the losses that you need to make peace with. Those areas that have been outstanding debts. Those areas that have been out of order in your life. Those relationships that are out of time. Those things that aren't right. That you feel like you've been robbed and stolen from. God, we are asking that you come and fill your people so they might make peace with it. Forgive the offender, even yourself, if you're the offender. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you now. The Lord is here to set you free. It's to have no more influence over your heart and mind. He wants you to come to terms and to make peace with it. He's providing that for you right now. If you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness, ask forgiveness. If you need to confess it, find somebody you trust, right? And just tell them, right? The love's non-negotiable. Now, we do need to repent where we've made the second, secondary things the idols. So, Father, we, we just place these areas that we've made idols in our heart where we've longed more for the restoration of a thing than we have your presence. And, Father, we ask your forgiveness for allowing those idols to stand in our hearts. And we ask that you forgive us. God, we repent. We turn away. We turn away from allowing anything else to be an idol in our heart above you from our comfort to the relationships to the money to whatever is in our, in, our, in our hearts and minds that's taken a higher priority than you, Father, forgive us. We turn away from evil things, those secondary things. If it ain't you, it's not God. So God, we, we pursue you. We pursue you. And we commit our hearts today to come after you, to make you the first thing, the top priority. Thank you that you do help us make peace with our past. And because of that, we walk in satisfaction. Father, I pray for those who've been struggling with disappointment in this season, where things are not turning out the way that you thought. Father, will you shed your love in their hearts so that they know that they can eat from you, they can eat plenty from your table and be satisfied. Yeah. And Father, I thank you that in you, in you, God, as we make peace with, as we make peace with the losses and we put you on the throne, we are never put to shame. Come on, will you raise your hands, church, to heaven right now? I receive, come on, pray this with me. I receive shamelessness, forgiveness, healing, restoration, 
I receive your peace. I will never be put to shame. I will never be put to shame. Come on, say it like you mean it. I will never be put to shame. Let's do it one more time. I will never be put to shame. I declare restoration over each one of you. I declare that those areas in your life where you've needed to make peace, God will make a supernatural way for peace. That there will be a supernatural outpouring of reconciliation and restoration. That those conversations that have been undone will be had. That those areas where there has been offense and wounding, you will let it go. You will put it at the throne and let the blood of Jesus cover it and let it go. And God will bring reconciliation and restoration into your heart and mind. And we declare it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. Bless you. Bless you. So good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.